Good morning, church. Good to see you. Uh, good morning. And uh, so if you're new here, and if it's your first time worshiping with us, we're pumped that you're here. We actually bought you something uh, that we'd love to give you. Uh, if you'll uh, take that card from the back of the seat in front of you, drop it by Next Steps on your way out, which is just that area in the lobby with the cool new uh, Christmassy things out there. Um, we'd love for you to st- drop your card by there, and they'll hook you up with a Lindsay Lane East t-shirt. And then some information about our church just to help you make an informed decision about, uh, about where God might have you worship. Uh, we're continuing in this study. It's kind of an overview of the four key themes that we see through the first eight chapters of Mark. Uh, we're going to study through the whole gospel of Mark this year, but this is kind of just the first part of it. And uh, so we're looking at the, Jesus' ministry to the multitudes. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to Mark 5, 21. That's where we'll be here shortly. But last week we talked about Jesus' teaching. The first week we talked about that Jesus' overarching message was the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so then the next week, which was last week, we looked at kind of the iconic, uh, the iconic teaching moment for Jesus in the Gospel of Mark when he's, when he's teaching the multitudes, which was uh, the sower and the seeds and all that from last week. If you missed that sermon, you can always go check that out on our Facebook page and our YouTube page. Um, I, I sort of my favorite stories to, to preach through and uh, a really cool parable from Jesus. But uh, what we mentioned last week and really the week before was a lot of people, some people were following Jesus because he was a good teacher and they were following him because they thought he might be the Messiah. But some people were just following him because he could do cool stuff. Okay? Um, they, they thought he could do some pretty neat little magic tricks. Um, I Facebook has learned me. Do you all know that fa- you know Facebook learns what videos you like? And then they put them in front of you. And it makes me mad that dumb dancing videos and magic trick videos, like that's what Facebook thinks I like. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> that's pretty cool, you know. But, like, that's, that's where I'm at. And so I can, I can watch people just doing magic tricks. Like so card tricks are really impressive. I actually bought a deck. Like, I didn't have buy a deck of cards. But I was actually practicing some at home a few months ago. And then Kelly... Uh, she didn't fall for it. She knew what I was doing, so I gave it up. So, but if you're if you're a magic sleight of hand person, congratulations. But I think I think I would follow Jesus for the same reasons. Like I think I would have been like, man, this guy's doing some cool stuff. He's healing some people. He, there there's something going on here that I want to check out. I want to watch what this guy's got going on. And I think that's what a lot of what's going on. We see that, and we're actually going to see that in the text today. But all the miracles um, they're, they're so crazy to read about. Um, but just like last week, I want to look at an iconic teaching moment. This week, I want to look at an iconic uh, healing moment. A moment when Jesus heals, uh, steps into two ladies' lives and brings healing. And their story is so cool how it's intertwined together. And anyway, uh, I think it's really, really neat. And I want to share it with you today. So Mark 5, I'm going to read verses 21 through 29, which doesn't tell the whole story. But I promise we're going to get there as we go through. All right. Begin verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with them, and a large crowd was following him and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. 
Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Let me pray before we start diving in. Father, uh, we thank you, God, that um, uh, we have these incredible stories of Jesus' power and his compassion. And Father, I pray that today, um, God, that into all of our hearts and in all of our lives, God, that these stories would begin to speak. Uh, God, as we see Jesus' power and his compassion in these two situations, God, I pray that um, that we recognize His your love for us through Christ. And um, God, I pray that you'd speak today through your word, teach us to know you today, and be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this healing is pretty unique. Um, by this time in Jesus' ministry, a whole lot of healing has taken place. So this is just through the Gospel of Mark. Let me share some of these with you. In, in chapter 1, Jesus drives out an unclean spirit from a man. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, who was bedridden with a fever. He completely healed a man with leprosy. And in Capernaum, Mark says that he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. That's chapter 1. Okay, Chapter 2, he heals a paralytic man whose friends bring him to Jesus. And in chapter 3, he heals a man's shriveled hand. And then we read in chapter 7 and 8 um, that a lot of this crowd that's following him, that it says the large crowd came to him because they heard about what he was doing. In chapter 4, he calms the waters and the winds while he's in a boat in the middle of a storm. In chapter 5, he heals a man possessed by many demons who's living in the tombs of others. He heals an older woman as he's on his way to bring, uh, to bring a young girl who has just died back to life. That's just chapter through chapter 5. It's a lot of stuff. And those last two stories, I think, speak so much of Jesus' power and his compassion. So today, that's what I hope that we all see. So for note takers, here we go. Point number one, Jesus has power over disease. So Jairus, uh, Jairus we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but his daughter is dying. And Jesus is on his way to try to bring healing to them. But he, we're introduced in the midst of that journey, we're introduced to a woman who has some sort of medical condition. If it bothers you that we don't know, I'm sorry. The Bible's not a medical journal, okay? The Bible is there to teach us about Jesus. So we don't know exactly what's going on with this woman, but we know that it's causing some sort of uh, extremely regular menstrual bleeding. That's all we know just from the story. And it's been going on for 12 years through that time, Mark tells us that she sought the help of many doctors. And Mark says, probably one of the most understatement of the year, that she, this woman, has endured much at the hands of many doctors. Okay? So keep that in mind. This is before lasers, <laughs> before microscopic surgeries. We're talking about ancient practice here. We're talking about ancient science, ancient medicine. This woman has been seeking help for 12 years from many doctors. There's no telling what this woman has been through. In fact, Mark says she's gotten worse in those 12 years from doctors trying to, to fix her. It's, it's a probably amazing that she's even survived some of the archaic procedures that they've tried to do on her. And here's the deal. I know some of you, your families, can relate to things like chronic pain. No answers from doctors. You know the helpless feeling that this woman finds herself in when nobody can help you. But her complications weren't just physical. Mark goes on in the story. He tells us, uh, Luke explains it to us. I thought I'd read it uh, just from Luke, even though Mark tells us the same thing. But Luke eight forty three, 
He says a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any. Now, here's, we don't know how wealthy this woman was when the process started. When the bleeding started, we have no idea how much money she has. But what we know is that 12 years later, she ain't got none. She spent every dime that she has on trying to, to find somebody who can fix this. All of her medical bills. Again, some of y'all know what it's like to fork out bukus of your hard-earned money just to try to find answers for your problems. For the sake of your health. Just praying that answers come before you have to write another check. I've walked with families down that road. But possibly the most difficult thing for this woman was not the physical pain. and It, it may not have even been the, the, uh, this uh, financial pain. It was probably an emotional pain. Because what you may not realize is that because she was bleeding in this way, she would not be allowed into the temple. So as a Jewish woman, um, one of the things that made her unclean was this type of bleeding. And so she would have had to have, have stopped bleeding for seven days before she could enter the temple based on the law of the day. And so imagine for 12 years, the clock keeps restarting before the seven days come. And every time she's let down for 12 years, this woman has not, has more than likely not been able to enter the temple, to be able to worship the God that she believes in. Imagine the frustration of this woman for 12 years, feeling separated from God, not because of like unconfessed sin, but because of a disease that she can't even like find an answer to. So she's got physical pain, she's got financial pain, she's got emotional pain, and I'm sure that would have been overwhelming at times. And I know that relates to some of us as well. She wanted answers, she wanted healing. And then she hears of this miracle worker from Nazareth named Jesus. And he's doing some cool stuff. And I just read to you through the first five chapters the things he's done by this point. And she's got to think, I wonder what he could do for me. I mean, he's healing all these other people. He's doing some really cool stuff. Maybe he can help me. But again, this is what, you may not, what we don't realize because we're Americans and we're not Jews in the first century. She can't approach a rabbi. She's unclean. Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. He's a, he's a holy man. And the view of his disciples, a woman who is unclean cannot come up and touch Jesus. She don't get punched in the mouth, or at least backed away. She might not get punched. But she can't come close to Jesus. She can't, she can't come to this holy man. But she gets an idea from the book of Malachi. If you're not familiar with the book of Malachi, and most of us probably aren't, we should be, because it's really good. But she gets this idea, I'm gonna, I just want to touch his clothes, and then I can be healed. Which sounds crazy, I get. That sounds like a dumb idea. But it comes from the prophet Malachi, verse, chapter 4, verse 2. Um, Malachi speaks of a day in which, the day of the Lord, and uh, he's tying it in to some messianic, messianic prophecies of the Messiah that's going to come one day. And this is what he says, But for you who, hear, who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. So Malachi's speaking to the people of Israel, and he says there's a day coming, right? Those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Nerd moment. The word for he, the wings in the Hebrew 
is refers to the bottom of your coat, the wings. Imagine someone with a tunic flapping their arms. What would it look like? Wings. Thank you for playing along. Y'all got to wake up. I know this is a deeply emotional message, but you got to hang with me. And for the Jews, they would often, on these large baggy tunics, they would tie tassels, and they had some significance for them. But it became the idea that when the Messiah comes, there's going to be healing in the hem of his garment. That's how much power of God is going to be present in the Messiah. And so she puts it to the test. She sneaks up behind him, and she touches it. And Mark tells us that she immediately feels healing. Can you imagine? Twelve years of physical, financial, and emotional pain. We've all at some time probably received good news, and that's a weight off your chest for sure. But imagine twelve years of bad news, bad news, bad news. Ah, now I'm healed. Um, so uh, I had a, I had a parotid tumor. If you don't know, a parotid gland is a gland somewhere in this area, as you can see from my really cool scar. Um, it's a, a gland that helps uh, salivate your mouth. Yeah, there you go. And so I had a tumor on there several years ago. And I can remember, uh, if you've never had a biopsy, like on a part of your body that is your head, uh, it doesn't hurt at all. I don't know if some of you are in the medical field, and I don't know why y'all think pressure is a good word to use for what we go through. <laughs> You're going to feel some pressure. Doctors always tell you that, right? It's pain. That's what it is. You can call it pressure if you want. Um, so they did a biopsy of that tumor, and I can remember, I don't know how long it was, Kelly. I don't remember how long we had to wait to get the news, but it felt like a long time to get that news. And for us, and I know this, our journey was different than you guys, but we got good news at the end of that, which was that it wasn't cancer. We just got to get it out of there. And so for us, that was good. And I can just, the, the, I mean, maybe the two weeks or whatever we had to wait seemed like forever. This is a woman who's got nothing but bad news for 12 years. She's been told nothing can be done. And now in a moment, it's gone. And her mind has got to be just racing about what, how, how is my life going to be different now, right? We're going to come back because she actually got caught. She thought she could just touch it and then slip away. She gets busted by Jesus. We'll see that in just a moment. But I actually want to talk, I want to jump to the end of the story to talk about uh, the other healing. Jesus has power over death is point number two. So remember, Jesus is on his way to a man named Jairus' house because his daughter's dying. Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. But Jesus gets sidetracked by this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She wants healing. There's this gigantic crowd that's just pressing in around Jesus. And so it takes them a while to get there. And so on their way there, uh, something happens in verse 35. If you're not familiar with the story, just put yourself in the place of Jairus, this dad who's walking with the man who can heal his, his daughter. They're on their way to the house, and they get this news. While Jesus was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now put yourself in those shoes. Can you imagine that moment? The heaviness of just all the hope and all the excitement of Jesus is going to heal. He's, he's going to bring healing. He's going to heal my daughter who's dying. And, and then you get this news. But 
We don't know what happened, but clearly Jairus had a, had a change of demeanor because Jesus steps in. He says this in verse, the very next verse. Jesus overheard and said, hey, don't be afraid. Only believe. We'll continue reading. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making all this noise? The child's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him and put them all outside. He took the, father, the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. And he took the child by the hand and said to her something in Aramaic, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. So put yourself in the room. We got a young girl. Mark tells us she's 12 years old, lying on the bed. Her parents are hysterical. Jesus and his three closest disciples with him. And Jesus just says, Hey, baby. Wake up. Like he's waking her from a nap. And she does. She actually gets up and walks. Just, and just as in the case of the woman, everyone had spoken in the situation. Just as the doctors had all told her, there's nothing that can be done. Y'all, the mourners had already showed up. If you don't understand Jewish culture, the mourners showed up when, when we were for sure it was that somebody's dead. The mourners would show up and literally just cry and just... They would make this big scene, but it was part of the Jewish culture that the, the people from the community who were professional mourners, that's what they did. They would show up and just cry. It's a good, that would be a great practice for, like, some of y'all just love to cry. Wouldn't it be great if somebody would pay you to come do it? It would be awesome. All right, anyway, so that's why they, they would come to the house and they would just, they would cry. So they've already showed up. Okay, so we're not talking about she just died right before Jesus got there. We're talking about the mourners have already come down the street. They're already present. They're already crying. Life has spoken. This girl is no longer with us. The family was helpless. But then Jesus shows up and does something that no one else could do. He reaches into death to bring this little girl back to life. And my favorite part of the whole story, my favorite part, and I know the whole word is inspired, and I believe it's inspired. I really do. But I just want to think, why did Mark have to add the last part? At this, they were utterly astounded. You think he needed to put that in there? Duh. Right? Like, duh, Mark. Thank you for that. Really? Everybody was shocked. Huh? <laughs> really? Okay. Of course they were utterly astounded. Jesus has just shocked the crowd by healing a woman who had a disease for 12 years, and now he's brought a little girl back to the life. Now, you've got to remember, the crowd is not, the whole crowd didn't come up in the house. But what we can assume is that when you bring a little girl to life inside of a house, folks are going to hear about it. The crowds are all still gathered. The crowds are still there. No doubt the news of this is going to leak out. And so, as people know, they've just seen him heal this woman who's been sick for 12 years, and now he's raised a girl from the dead. The question has to be asked, what kind of power is this? Like, what kind of man is this who disease and death, he can heal somebody of a disease just by touching his garments? And he can bring a little girl back to life? Shut up. Who is this? 
would you want to follow that guy around a little while? I would. See what this guy's got going on. Even if you're a skeptic, you're going to hang out and listen. Jesus had power over disease and death, and he shows it not just in these two stories, but throughout his, throughout his ministry. And church, you need to hear this. He still does have power over disease and death. His power has not been diminished or taken away. The same Jesus who brought healing in the past, church, stands ready now as the Son of God, the one who hears our prayers to the Father. But as I read through this, it's not, I mean, Jesus' power, definitely. And like if, if, you, if you thought Jesus somehow like lacked all the power that he used to have, stop that. That's garbage. He's still powerful, and you need to hear that. But what was so shocking to me was not his power in this story, but his compassion. And that's point numbers three and four. Three, three is this. Jesus is compassionate towards the fearful. Look with me again at this, this daddy's interaction with Jesus. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. Two things I get from this story. Number one, Jairus is a hurting daddy. He's hurting and he's scared to death. It says that he falls at the feet of Jesus, begging him earnestly. Like he's not with his dying daughter right now. Which shows me number two, he has faith in what Jesus can do. Because I'm going to tell you, if I'm worried about my daughter dying, I ain't leaving her side. Unless I think there's someone who can fix it. And that's what we see in Jairus. Not, Jairus, not only is he fearful and he's scared to death, but he also has faith in Jesus. It's a scary thing to feel out of control when it comes to my health. right? Like when, I, when, when we realized I had a tumor in my face, that's scary. But I also know it's my body, right? But when it's the body of my ones that I'm supposed to care and protect, that's tough. That's a fear, unlike fear that I feel for my own body. This is somebody I'm supposed to take care of. It's my daughter. That's what he's going through. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about when you hand them the keys for the first time. It's scary enough on these crazy roads driving around with them in the back seat. <laughs> that's where I'm at. That's my stage of life. But some of y'all, y'all have already passed the keys to them. I don't know how y'all do that. Lord, Lord, take me out before we get there. I don't know. Like, I won't be able to deal with that. That's going to be very slowly. <laughs> but like that's, that's tough. That's tough. Um, but it's, it's that out of control. It's that, it's that fear. It's what Jairus is going through. It's no doubt because of the faith in Jairus that we see Jesus' response. Notice what Jesus says after this. So Jesus went with him. Did you catch that? Not a word spoken. Not a, well, dude, how far away you live? We ain't talking about like a long journey, right? How long is it going to take us to get there? We're not, well, how, how close is she? Could I, could I kill some time before we get there because I'm kind of hungry, right? That's, Jesus doesn't say anything. Jesus just says exactly nothing. He just goes with him. And as he's going, as they're on the way, they get this word. And in the verse 35, that the daughter has now died. 
and says, don't, don't bother with the teacher anymore. And we don't get the details here. But it had to affect the demeanor of the dad. There's no way dad goes, oh, well, Jesus can still do something. Because you, what you may not realize, we know Jesus raised us from the dead. We know he, 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 like, he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Listen, none of that's happened yet. Okay, in the scheme of miracles, Jesus has done the little ones so far. I mean, they're, they're huge. But like, in compar- he hasn't raised someone from the dead yet. That hasn't happened. And so when Jairus hears, he believes that Jesus can raise his daughter up from a sickness. But, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to say something the Bible doesn't say, but as a dad, and knowing what's happened to this point, I've got to doubt that Jesus can do anything at this point. And I say that because Jesus says, hey, man, don't be afraid. Just believe. And so Jesus had to have sensed in Jairus like a, just a, a, a fear, right? a fear. And Jesus says in verse 36, don't be afraid, only believe. Jesus' compassion for the man did not let him fall into doubt. Jesus tells him, essentially, the faith that brought you to me to begin with, keep it. Because I can still act. (laughs) I can still step into this situation. You haven't missed your window. The chance for healing is still there. And as they approach the home... The mourners are out there screaming, making a big scene. And just imagine the wife, right? Okay, think about it. Because I'm married. And I sometimes my wife says, hey, will you go get something? And sometimes it takes me a while to get back. You know what I'm talking about? Because like I, LNS did not have uh, canned sun drops when I went by. Well, then I had to try to find, I was wanting a canned sun drop. And I, it took me forever. I had to go three different places. Well, all the while, Kelly's at home trying to bake a cake. And she's waiting on eggs or whatever I went to get. Well, what do I have waiting on me when I get home? I got, what? Oh, sun drop. That was real important, right? Get the eggs home. What we have in this situation is that times... A million, billion, whatever number you want to say. Jairus left his dying daughter to go get Jesus because they believed he could bring healing. And it's taken forever. Because remember, there's a huge crowd that's slowing Jesus down. And some woman who's been sick for 12 years also stopped him. And that took a while. And all the while, the wife's at home and the daughter dies while he's gone. You know about a mad mama when he gets home. Sad, upset, tore up. She's emotional. No doubt, Jesus is walking in to find an absolutely delirious wife. Jairus didn't have a cell phone to text her and go, we're on our way. Keep the faith. Jesus says, there's still hope. There's none of that. Jesus steps in to the grief, to the pain, to the fear, and he shows compassion. Not in a hug and a kind word like we do. Because that's all I can offer. I hate going to the funeral home. You know that? You, I mean, like I'm going to come. But I hate going because it's there's nothing I can do, you know? Like I just, I just hug you. If you've lost a loved one, I hug you and I say, I'm so sorry. And then I just try to talk about something to make you laugh, you know? <laughs> to take your mind off of it for a moment. 
But Jesus steps in here with the same compassion I have, right, for you. But he can actually do something crazy. And he does. Not just a hug and a kind word, but he acted as only he can. And church, Christ has not changed. He still stands ready to step into your grief and into your pain and show compassion. When you are afraid, he is there. And listen, I won't promise you he's going to do some crazy miracle. What I do promise you, that he's going to have his crazy presence and peace to give to you. If you're in a place of fear with the circumstances of life right now or in the near future, let me remind you of Jesus' words. Don't be afraid. Only believe. It wasn't just Jairus' family that Jesus showed compassion to. He also showed compassion to the hopeless. To the hopeless. Let's cut back to the story of the bleeding woman where we just totally bailed on her a while back, but I want to come back there now. So she touches the hem of his robe, um, and Mark says, uh, instantly her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was held from her affliction. And she no doubt responded the same way. She's probably pumped. The last 12 years that have just been the worst uh, time like imaginable, um, she's healed of that. But then something freezes her in her steps. It's in verse 30. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And y'all, I don't understand it, okay? I'm just, just reading the text. And Jesus turned to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples think he's crazy because there's a large crowd. Jesus, everybody's touching you, dude. Everybody, y'all ever seen crazy? So when I was growing up, NSYNC was the thing. All right. So you ever seen the front of the stage at NSYNC concert? It's a bunch of teenage girls going, <gasps> they just want, and if Justin Timberlake touches their hand, oh, they just swoon back, right? That's what's going on. Like, everybody wants to touch Jesus. Everybody wants to be around him. They can go back to their town and say, you know that healer? I touched him with my hand. Oh. And he wasn't dreamy, but it was what he could do. And that's what's going on. So they're like, dude, everybody's touching you. That's what they say in verse 31. But then he says, looking around, this verse 32, Looking around to see who had done this, the woman who had touched him with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. And she told him the whole truth. Now, let me remind you that she was not permitted to touch anyone because she was considered unclean. And here, she has just touched the man that many believe to be the Messiah. The Son of God. The most clean. So, how about this? I'm not going to fess up to it real quick either. <laughs> I'm going to let Jesus look around first, too, and try to sneak back into the crowd. But she owns up to it. She confesses it on her face in front of Jesus. And everybody, when if you, were in, if you went to school, especially early elementary school, you know... You know the sound that happened after she confessed that. Because it happened in every kindergarten class. Still does when somebody gets in trouble. What do you hear? Oh. This woman who is unclean. Everybody, she just said, I'm unclean and I'm the one that touched you. And everybody goes, oh. What is Jesus going to say? 
They're waiting to see what the teacher is going to say. Look at verse 34. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Notice what the key factor of her healing was again. Just like Jairus' daughter. Jairus had faith and so does this woman. Through all the difficulty of the last 12 years, she never lost faith in God. But there's some things I just want to compare because I don't believe that there's any coincidence in the Bible. I believe if, if, if there are things that are said, we should take notice. So, uh, quiz time. i got four questions to ask you over the next few minutes. How old was the little girl? Twelve. Verse 42. Okay. How many years had this lady been struggling with bleeding? Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. You may think, Heath, that's just a coincidence. Okay. How old was Peter's mom-in-law when Jesus healed her? Yeah, I don't know either. We, they didn't tell us. The man, I said 50. Well, I don't know. The man that was hit, the guy that had the many demons that was running around the tombs, you know how old he was? I don't know either. Because authors didn't tell us. So why, in the midst of a, two paragraphs, did the authors do something that they never do in any of the rest of the stories? Unless we're supposed to take notice of it. So think about that. This woman begins her battle with this disease the very same year that Jairus' daughter is born. And think about it. As Jairus and his wife are carrying this baby girl around, showing her off to everybody around, the woman who's suffering is secluding from that same society because of her uncleanness. As the little girl is learning how to talk, this woman has to, is beginning to forget what social interaction looks like at all. And we know that kids begin to develop friendships. You know, three to five years old is when they really start developing friendships. As this, as this little girl is doing that, this woman is now just settling into a new normal with probably no friends at all. God has orchestrated these two encounters to happen together. For 12 years, both of these ladies have had very different journeys. But now in the same day, they encounter Jesus. And God is showing this consistency here between two very different situations to show that his power and his compassion are available to all. Not just to either or. But it's what's in Jesus' answer to the woman that's so beautiful. The word daughter. As I was writing this message out, I got tired of calling the woman the woman in my notes. Did you catch her name in the story? I didn't either. But what was the little girl's daddy's name? Jairus. Now, again, we don't always get the names. 
We don't always get the names. But in th- this story is listed. These two stories together, always told together, are in three of the four Gospels. And none of them share her name. But two of them do share Jairus's. And in fact, they tell us that he's an important man who's a leader in the synagogue. And here is this no-name woman slowing Jesus down on his way to heal the daughter of a very important man. But Jesus doesn't see her as a nuisance. In fact, Jesus sees her. He sees her. And though we never get her name, Jesus calls her daughter. Probably neglected by her own family because of her disease. But here she's called daughter. This is a super intimate term. It would be similar to me calling my daughter sweetheart. This woman for 12 years has had very little interaction with others. Probably never spoken or definitely not been close enough to touch a priest or a rabbi. She's just been called daughter by the Son of God. She's probably gone 12 years without a hug or a handshake. And here Jesus uses an intimate name that blows a hug out of the water. This would have floored her. She would have been speechless. And as I've already said, church, I'll say it again. Nothing has changed about Jesus. He still has compassion towards the hopeless. He still stands ready to comfort those who feel no comfort from anyone else. If you feel beat down by the world, if you feel unwanted and alone, if you feel like no one cares about you at all, don't. Because Jesus does. He stands ready to show compassion towards you. He will step in with words of affirmation that I can't even touch. And he will lift you up when you cannot lift yourself. Church, the same Jesus who blows the minds of these two families in this story with his power and compassion hasn't changed. He still stands just as powerful and just as compassionate today. If you stand in need of his power to step into your life and bring healing or to restore relationships, he stands ready to do that. But if you also are in need of his compassion, you need to know that he stands ready to let you feel his love and his compassion today. But we've got to respond as those in the story did. Jairus, broken father, falls on his face before the Lord, begging for God to act. The lady, the woman, she does the same. She falls before Jesus, begging for grace. Beg of God to act today on your behalf and be confident in faith that he will. Now, as I share these two stories, they're very different. And I don't know if, and maybe neither one of them resonated to your life situation right now. But what I know is that some of you may have resonated with one of them because of what you're going through because of your past or your present. But you can know that Christ is with you today. Christ is with you today. And here's what I do know. It may not be your past or it may not be your present, but one day all of us will be in one of those two camps. We'll either be in need of healing or we'll be struggling to say goodbye to someone that we love. And in that moment, 
whether past, present, or future, remember that Christ is with you. And Christ stands ready to help you. Today, if you need to trust, if you need Jesus to step into your brokenness and trust him with that, you can do that during this last song. It's a great way for you to respond. We're going to put words on the song, music playing. Ignore all that. Talk to God and beg of him to act on your behalf. Step into your brokenness, whether through power or compassion. But it's also a time for you to trust in Jesus for the first time. Now, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I'm going to tell you, uh, you need to. Um, Kelly and I have been through some difficult things in our life. I know I'm only 34. I got a lot more life to live. And I got more pain and heartache ahead of me. I know that. But what I know is, is that I've got Christ in me and beside me to help me in those days to come. If you've never trusted in Jesus, we would love to share with you about how you can. How you can trust in him. And how he can change your life as he's changed so many of our lives. I'm going to stand down front during this, the first part of the song. Then I'm going to slide to the front row. But I'm still available. If you talk, need to talk to me about anything that you're going through, just ask me for prayer. Or if you need help um, trusting in Jesus, we would love to help you do that. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And after I pray, let's stand. After I say amen, and we'll sing or respond however God leads. Amen. All right, let's go. Father,